When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. No, and I think you put your finger on like the essential thing, which is like there's no one magic, one size fits all solution. And so just because something works for you doesn't mean it's going to work for me. And just because something works for me doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And sometimes with all the best intentions, people keep insisting to other people or to themselves that they that something should work. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Human to Human, a Revolt Network podcast. Human to Human is a space to reimagine self-love, strengthen interpersonal relationships, and peel back the layers of the human experience, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Stacey Ike, and I'm really glad you're here. This episode's special guest is author and speaker Gretchen Rubin, whose framework about communication and expectations I was immediately drawn to. How many times have you had expectations placed on you or you place expectations on others without context? Expectations have been something I have consistently been working on managing, so you know I asked her for the playbook. And after listening, I hope you have a healthier perspective on expectations and relationships overall. As always, I like to start each episode with a few recommendations based on our conversation. This episode's song of the week is Pressure by Queen. This week's book is The Four Tendencies by today's guest, Gretchen Rubin. And while you're listening, reflect on this question. How have expectations influenced your communication style and relationship with others and yourself? Now, let's get human to human with Gretchen Rubin. You have written so many books that I think have been so inspirational and moving for people as they are getting to know themselves and the relationships around them. I wanted, I'll read off a few of them, but I'll say the one that's one of my favorites. Um, Gretchen has written The Four Tendencies, Outer Order and Inner Calm, The Happiness Project, Happier at Home, Better Than Before, which is a number one favorite for me, but I definitely want my audience to have um, a more, a closer experience with the tendencies. I think that when I experienced the tendencies, when I first came across them, my God, you showed me a part of myself that I, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> like, well, I, Stacey, I, I have to ask, what is your tendency? <laughs> okay. Or, so, you, or should we explain it and then you'll reveal it at the end? Yes, okay. exactly, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> a big part of the show is having people have a better relationship with themselves and others. Yeah. And so I'd love to first start with what are the four tendencies and can you please give us the insight of the four tendencies? So the four tendencies is a personality profile framework that I I stumbled across, invented, created when I was writing my book Better Than Before, which is about habit change, because I was very struck by patterns I saw in how people did or didn't successfully change their habits. And the moment of realization for me was when a friend said to me, it's so strange. I know I'm happier when I exercise. And when I was on the track team, I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? And I thought, well, why? It's because at one time it was effortless. Now she can't do it. It's the same person. It's the same behavior. How do you explain it? And, and after like so much like mental labor that like the sweat was pouring down from my brain uh, for months, <laughs> I figured out that the key is this idea of expectations. So we all face two kinds of expectations, outer expectations, like a work deadline and inner expectations, like my own desire to get back into practicing meditation. So depending on whether we meet or resist 
outer and inner expectations. That makes us an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel. And I'm going to briefly explain it. And, and usually people know exactly what they are. They know what their friends are, their family members, the Game <laughs> of Thrones characters. They're really obvious once you know. But if people like to take a quiz and get a report, you can go to GretchenRubin.com slash four tendencies, F-O-U-R tendencies, and you can take a free quick quiz. Um, like three and a half million people have taken that quiz. But like I say, most people, you don't even need yes. to take the quiz. You'll know. <laughs> um, so upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. So they meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. So their motto is discipline is my freedom. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they're making everything an inner expectation. So if it meets their inner standard, they'll do it no problem. If it fails their inner standard, they'll push back. Um, they resist anything arbitrary, inefficient, unjustified. They need reasons. They tend to love to customize and research. So their motto is, if you convince me why, then I will comply. Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So this is my friend on the track team. When she had a team and a coach expecting her, no problem. When she was trying to go on her own, she struggled. So if people need time for self-care, if they need to learn to put themselves first, if they have to, if they think a lot about motivation and making themselves a priority, that is obliger talk. Because what obligers need to meet inner expectations is outer accountability. You want to read more? Join a book group. Um, so uh, their motto is, you can count on me, and I'm counting on you to count on me. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they choose to do, anything they want to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they are very likely to resist. And typically they don't tell themselves what to do. Like they don't sign up for a 10 a.m. yoga class on Saturday because they think, well, I, I don't know what I'm going to feel like doing on Saturday. And just the idea mm -hmm. that it's on my calendar is going to annoy me. So their motto is you can't make me and neither can I. So those are the four. Um, <laughs> the biggest one is obliger for both men and women. Mm -hmm. Obliger is the biggest. Rebel is the smallest. But Stacy, what is your tendency? So when I first came across tendencies, I, like you said, you have this idea of what yours is based on hearing it, right? And I heard you talk about it on a few different podcasts and I was comparing how and who you were talking about it with. Mm -hmm. And that's how I was, because before I took the test, I was like, let me see who she's talking to, kind of gauge the host that she's talking with and see how I relate with that host before I take the quiz. That is, so that's, I, really, that's a really good thing. And sometimes when people aren't sure, I'm like, see yes. who resonates with you. Who's saying the kind of things you say? Who has the kind of exactly. responses you have? That's very smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good, exactly. good strategy. Exactly. So I originally was so sure that I was a questioner with a, with a side effect of a rebel. Right. right. That was like, this makes sense. This makes sense. And that's Steve for my Jobs, <laughs> questioner who tips to rebel. So yeah. there you go. Good yes. company. Yeah. So that felt good in my professional life, but in my personal life, I felt like an obliger. Ah. And so when I took the quiz, I found out I was more of an obliger, but I still, when I was looking through the questions, I was like, this only feels right in my personal life. I'm the oldest of five. I grew up in a very big family. I do have this people pleasing. I'm a Libra, 
all of that felt good in my astrology and my family background. I was like, wow, this makes sense. But in my per- my professional life, you can't get me to do anything without me questioning it. I started as a journalist. I'm a host. I have my own show. I'm an entrepreneur. I also have a lot of friends who will say, Stacy is going to do what she wants to do when she wants to do it. You know, so it was such an interesting thing. And I, I was thinking, okay, is it possible for people to have more than one tendency? And I wanted to see how that related to you because I know you're an upholder. Mm-hmm. And also, is there a way to have two different um, of the tendencies, whether it comes to professional and personal? Did you have, you know, have you gauged that in your own life? Or do have you seen that in other people's life or in their results? Have they seen, oh, actually, I relate to more than one thing. And it depends on, you know, what part of myself I am engaging in. Yeah, absolutely. So the question about whether you can be more than one, like all the tendencies mm-hmm. overlap with another tendency. So like questioners like uh, are like rebels and that they both resist outer expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, but questioners are also like upholders because they both keep inner expectations. So you could be a questioner who tips to rebel or a t- questioner who tips to upholder. And that's really going to flavor the way it comes out. Now, with what you're saying, I have two responses. One is you might be a questioner because questioners will do whatever makes sense in a particular situation. And it just may be that for you, you're like doing what my family is expecting of me is just what makes sense. Because even Mm -hmm. if I don't agree with maybe what they're asking me to do, like it makes sense in some sort of larger context. Or it could be a rebel because sometimes rebels have very, very high values. And so from the outside and even to themselves, it can look like, they're very bound to kind of principles, but in fact, they're just choosing over and over to behave that way. And it's hard for rebels to understand how others do not feel like they are choosing in the same way. Like I do it because it's the rule. Like if it's, mm. you know, and, and so, so I would say to you, if somebody asked you to do something, would you feel more like your response would be more like thinking, well, since you asked me to, I need to do it. Would it be, why do you want me to do that? Or like, why should I? Or would it be, you can't tell me what to do? What would be the kind of the most sort of characteristic response that you would have? Wow, guys, Gretchen, Ruben. (laughs) I think I, I am in. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Therapy dealing with the fact that I think my natural is number one. Mm. And again, in professional, it would be number two. Like in my personal life, I definitely gauge to number one because I'm very, I want to make my, my people happy. I want to make sure they feel comfortable and good. And that makes me feel good. Now, it is something that I am un- unpacking currently, and, and I see where sometimes that works, and sometimes my boundaries need to be stronger, and that has been really a wonderful experience, but I've also seen that I, I genuinely am, am happy <laughs> making sure that people in my world are happy too. Do you ever feel, have you ever said to yourself, why is it that I can keep my promises to other people, but I can't keep my promises to myself? Have you ever had that thought? Yes, I have. Okay, that's Absolutely. very obliger. Okay, so that's that's mm. making me think obliger. Here's another obliger. Mm. This and this isn't a universal obliger experience, but it's very, mm-hmm. very uh it is very common. Have you ever had obliger mm. rebellion? This is when you meet, 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 meet expectations, and then suddenly you snap and you think, This I will not do. And it's like uh, you know, it things like things felt like the pressure was so high that you're like, 
I'm going to end a, a friendship. I'm going to quit a job today. I'm going to get a divorce. Um, I'm not going to answer your emails for two weeks. Sometimes it's mm. small, sometimes it's big, but it's this explosive feeling of like, I can't take it anymore. Um, and, and it's often accompanied with feelings like you're kind of acting out of character and it's kind of out of control. Have you ever had that? That's obliged your rebellion. Oh, wow. hundred percent. You have. I okay. Definitely have. Yes. Very recently, actually. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that maybe I think maybe you are an obliger, but maybe in your work life, you're able to conceive of expectations in a way where they feel very free and very kind of um, reasonable, um, which is great because you would hope that I mean that's the ideal is that an obliger gets to a place where all the expectations, the deadlines, the deliverables, all those things feel um, sensible and manageable and and well thought through. Um, so mm-hmm. maybe that's why you're feeling like it's a questioner because it all makes sense to you. Um, but of course we all want things to make sense. Of yeah. course, of course. So I know that you talk about the tendencies being something that you're born with, but mm-hmm. do you think that upbringing influences that or how is that intertwined? Because I think there's so many people with what I, what I love about our audience is that there, there's so many family dynamics, so mm-hmm. many different family structures that influence, you know, how we see ourselves and how we see others and how we experience expectations. Do you think that upbringing is intertwined? Well, that's such a that's such a fascinating question. So I do believe I'm a big believer in the genetic roots of personality. So I do think that you're born with this. It's you're it's hardwired into you. Which what is your tendency? But to your point, I think that it's very the way that it comes out is very much influenced and affected by your culture, your upbringing, your surroundings. So like, let's say you're a questioner and you're born in North Korea. Well, you're going to learn to shut that down. But if you're a questioner and you're in Silicon Valley, maybe that is your greatest asset. And what you see with the tendencies is sometimes people's, because of their culture, their upbringing, their, or their situation, they might interpret um, or put a spin on their tendency that's very different. So for instance, you could have, I have talked to people, they're like, hey, you think I got time to exercise? No, I don't, because I am there for my clients. I give 110% of my clients. I'm on the phone 24 seven. I am there when they need me. I am so hardcore. I give everything to my clients, right? <laughs> and then I talk to somebody who's like, oh, you know, the thing about me is like, I just, I don't take time to exercise. And I'm just like, I, I just have not dealt with my eating. And yet, sure, if a client calls me, you know, I pick it up, but, you know, I need to establish better boundaries. And I'm like, this is the same behavior. This is classic obliger, textbook obliger mm-hmm. behavior. But one person is like holding it up and saying like, wow, I, I'm so admirable. Whereas another person is really castigating themselves for the same behavior. So I think what happens is that sometimes the interpretation that we make around attendance or like with a rebel tendency in certain situations, like everybody could say like, this is amazing. You are so connected to your authentic self. You're so focused on like your values, your aims. Like there's so much power there in a different circumstance. Somebody would be like, what's your problem? Like you need to get it together. Like you can't just make Mm. up the rules for yourself, you know? And so I think part of what our, 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 like our aims should be for ourselves is let's get ourselves to a place where our tendency is like, we're, we're tapping into the strengths of our tendency instead of like really being confined or limited by sort of the characteristics of our tendency or even the limitations of our tendency, because certainly they, they can show up in a very different way, depending on context. 
Yeah, yeah, that's so good. And that's also something that when I took the quiz, I made sure to say, hey, don't be affected by this. Find the strength in this. Because yes. one thing that I immediately felt, one of my really good friends who she believes she's a rebel, I took the tendencies to her and I was like, oh my God, you got to look at this. What Gretchen Rubin came up with? Oh my God, this will start. Like, you know, we've been friends for 30 years. We are obviously changing. We've been mm-hmm. friends our yeah. whole lives. And she she um, believes she's a rebel. And she said to me something that was that. At the time, it didn't hurt, but it did sting. And I recognized, she said, "Your my boundaries conflict with your expectations. Ooh, wait, I, I want to think oh. that through. She said her boundaries. Her boundaries conflict with my expectations of friendship and of her as my friend. And well, I see, really th- sat with that. That is fascinating. Okay, because if she is a rebel, do you think she's a rebel from your judgment? I do think so. Okay. I do think so, yeah, yeah. Because often when you see a rebel who's paired up, In romance at work, like in a founding team or like with a long-term friendship, if one person is a rebel, it's very, very common that the other person is an obliger. So if she's a Mm. rebel and you're an obliger, you would say, oh, that is, that's a pattern that would be very likely to sustain over the decades, which it has. And what Mm. she might say is like, as a rebel, like I got to do what I got to do. I got to do what I want, but that can seem cold to an obliger and and two obligers, Mm. upholders and questioners can also seem cold because it's like, Cause you're thinking, well, I would do this for you. If you asked me to do, do that for you, I would hundred percent be there. I don't understand why you're not there for me, but to the upholder, the questioner and the rebel that reads very differently because the questioners yeah. and the upholders are thinking, well, I've got my inner expectations for myself. So I have to honor that, you know? And so that can seem mm. kind of cold and the rebel's like, I got to do what I got to do. Like, I got to, I got to do my thing. And like, like you do your thing, I'll do my thing, but yeah. You know, and so it can't, there, this is a great example of how both people are, have every good intention and are very well-meaning. It's not a lack of consideration or love. It's just that we have mm-hmm. these different perspectives. And I think yeah. sometimes just being able to say like, oh, this is just the kind of thing that you might expect to see kind of makes it less personal. It doesn't feel so much yes. like it's about our, our feelings about each other. It's more like, Oh yeah. Like my husband's a questioner and it really makes me bonkers how I have to explain (laughs) my reasons for everything. But I'm like, it's not that he's doing that because he doesn't trust my judgment or he's trying to just like tease me. It's just like, he's like that with everybody. That's like a very questioner Mm -hmm. thing. And so now I don't take it personally. I just, I have to deal with it, but I don't take it to heart the way that I used to. Yeah. She's also the same friend who would tell me that in some parts of my life that I am extremely do what I want when I want. And again, that's why I kept thinking, wow, is it possible to be more than one tendency? Because she, like the way I would move in my professional life, she would never do that. I'm like, you know, I want to make the rule. They said, I want, they want me to do this, but I'm gonna do this. Like, it's so interesting versus for her, not to say she does everything she's asked in her, in her professional world, but she's a little, she's just in a position that does require her to be more of a team person. And mm-hmm. I live in a place where I, I work in a place where I can make up my own rules and I continue to stay in a place there because I feel more confident there than in a, on a, I don't know, a team that I'm not necessarily leading. And and I've been led on teams before and I have done okay, but I've seen myself better when I am making up my own rules. And I'm like, wow, that's so just, questioner. Just, <laughs> that is questioner. Cause questioner yeah, like, cr- I don't trust anybody's judgment. Like they don't do their research. <laughs> they don't think things through. Like I got to be the one in charge. Cause I don't know what you, you, you like chuckleheads <laughs> are going to come up with. Okay. But right. so here's my question though. Sometimes obligers you, I could imagine an obliger um, perhaps like you thinking, I have a duty to the, to my audience. I have an Mm. obligation to the people that I can help. 
and that I can support. And so I have to do this because I'm a role model or I'm a teacher or I'm a standard setter. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. that's the way, like sometimes like in a, a very, uh, like a very driven obliger boss might say, well, I have to leave work at 630 because if I don't leave work, then the people who work for me will feel like they have to work late. And I don't want to create a culture where everybody's working all the time. And, is, and it, you know, I want to create, so I have to do it. So others will do it. So maybe there's a way there could be an obliger way to do that. Or maybe you actually are a questioner. We'd have to like really get into it. Do you often think yeah. that things are arbitrary? Do you find yourself saying yes. things? <laughs> I think there's a lot of things people say that I'm like, it doesn't have to be that just because you said it is. And if you can't tell me why you think that, which I respect the way you think, it's more of like, you think that I should think that way too. And I don't understand that. I like that you think that way. And I respect that you think that way. And I just, it's, it should be okay that we, it's, it's a mess, right? Like it's, that's Basically, why you're, you're like, you're, you're, you're a much more slippery, a slippery person than I usually get because that's sounding When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Pretty rebel. Pretty rebel is kind of like, um, yeah, maybe you're a rebel who tips to questioner and you just have very, very high community values. Um, anyway, oh, you're, a, you're, you're, you're like, you're in a, a thought provoking case. Okay. I, I genuinely was so fascinated. And that, that is why I was so fascinated because by the tendencies and how like, yes, you might've had a few things that go under each one, but I was like, I know that people at the same time, some people are not easily, but some people relate better to one thing. And some people are looking at all of them and seeing a piece of themselves. And it made me think, okay, so how do these tendencies help us reflect in expectations, right? Because like the fact that you built this entire system around expectations, that's a part of the way we live our lives. At the same time, you care so deeply about human nature and happiness. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this is just the most intertwined way to to see yourself. So I first want to ask as an upholder, where did you see yourself having to be a little less rigid, be more Mm. flexible in your expectations of yourself and of others? Well, it's interesting because as an upholder, that is uh, like, I don't really do that. I don't really. Um, <laughs> you don't want to. <laughs> no, 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 I don't want to. But it's actually, that's a really interesting thing to know because, um, and this is something that the other tendencies often get wrong about upholders. So for, mm-hmm. as an upholder, discipline is very, tends to be very, very comforting. And so often mm-hmm. other tendencies will say like, well, you're under so much pressure. You should like loosen up or you should let yourself off the hook or you should take a break. But actually to an upholder, that is not comforting. That can actually be kind of unsettling and unnerving. So like I, you could imagine that you have like a like an eight-year-old upholder child and you're like, oh, honey, you've been, you know, like we've had so much going on. I don't think you have to do the nightly reading. But to the upholder, that is not comforting. That's not reassuring. That's not energizing. Actually, for um, upholders, they tend to go like deeper into habits and that kind of comforts them. And that's how you can't, that's that's one of the reasons why rigidity can be something that you see in upholders. Because an upholder, if 
can be can find we can find it hard to be flexible or to change when we when, when we sort of need to adapt. And so if you have an upholder who's under pressure, they probably are going to like sort of become more upholdery rather than loosening up. And so sometimes when people are trying to be helpful, I'm like, that wouldn't make me feel better. Like you're like, oh, why don't you cancel that meeting? And I'm like, I would feel worse if I canceled that meeting. I'll feel better if like I get the things done that I planned. Um, sure. And so, but so understanding that was a big, gave me a lot of insight into like when I, when I did seem to be rigid from, from other people or I was accusing myself of being rigid, I was like, it just, it does not how it feels to me. To me, it feels freeing and energizing. And so like, sometimes it's, it's like, sometimes I need to be flexible um, and I c- can kind of talk my way there, but I don't, I, now I understand my own responses better than I did at one time, because I was like, why do people keep telling me to do this? It's not going to make me feel better. Um, yeah. 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 Because so what are do. some things that you do as an upholder to make yourself feel better? If it's not because, you know, we are in this space where we're also giving advice that sometimes is unsolicited. Like you said, people are saying, just do this, just do yeah. this. And it's yeah, like, yeah. that's not actually helpful. And, yeah. and we are all trying to be in better relationships with each other. And I do think that even me, some people are like, well, just think like this. I'm like, no, that that's how you think. That's not how I think. And I don't it's OK that we don't think the same. <laughs> Just like there's no one magic, one size fits all solution. And so just because something works for you doesn't mean it's going to work for me. And just because something works for me doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And sometimes with all the best intentions, people keep insisting to other people or to themselves that they, that something should work. Listen, Stacy, why don't you just make a to-do list? Mm. Like just get clear on your priorities, make a list and execute that. And you're like, that doesn't work for me, but why do, so why do I like, you need to just sign up and take a class. And somebody's like, well, I don't like to take a class. It's like, well, you should, yeah. or, or even something as silly as like, um, right. are you a morning? It's not even silly. It's, it, it's, it's basic. It's fundamental. Are you a morning person or a night person telling a night person that they should get up early mm-hmm. and like exercise before breakfast or work on their novel or their PhD thesis before breakfast. It's like, it's probably not going to help them set themselves up for success, not because there's anything wrong with the advice, but because they're a night sure. person. And so they're at their most energetic and creative later in the day. And so um, so I think one of the things that helps with the tendencies is like when you're trying to make change in yourself or you're trying to help someone else like do what they want or, or, or you're trying to get them to do what you want, which, frankly, we spend a lot of our time trying to get other people to do what we want. Um when you can speak the language of their tendency, it's a lot more, it's a lot easier to be persuasive. So like, like with your friend, who's a rebel, like giving them accountability, is going to like make them less inclined to do it, not more inclined. So accountability for obligers is essential. Yes, It can be actually counterproductive for a rebel. And so mm-hmm. if you're a boss and you're managing somebody or you're mm-hmm. a parent with a kid or your spouse trying to get your spouse to like pay the bills on time, understanding their tendency can really help you figure out like, well, how do we create an environment where we can all thrive instead of saying like, if this doesn't work, there's something wrong with you. Or if this doesn't work, there's something wrong with me. Um, Cause I've talked to a lot of people. I'm sure you have too. Yeah. People get very frustrated with themselves. They get very discouraged because they're like, why can't I do this? Other people can do this. What's my problem. And it's like, maybe you're not setting yourself up in the way that's right for you. There's a lot of ways to achieve our aims. You know, we all take different roads but we can all get to the destination. But you know, if something doesn't work, you got to try something else. Yeah. And I really, really love that because I have to say it, it took me a while to accept that accountability was, was actually really helpful for me. It made me feel like, 
if it scared me because people could really see me, they could see my weaknesses. Yeah. At least that's what I thought, right? I thought, oh God, they noticed that I do need help here. And that made me feel very uncomfortable. It took me a while to accept that some days a to-do list actually worked great for me. And then other weeks or other days or other tasks, it didn't. And I was like, God, I, I don't know how to figure myself out. And I remember like coming across your tendencies and really trying to fit in one box and why I was so grateful to have you on the show. I was like, oh my God, I get to talk to her about how three of the boxes make sense for me. But I, I've noticed that they make sense in different parts of my life. And so to your point of how do we learn to accept and explore that part of ourselves and exploring what our path is? Because like you said, it can be a bit uncomfortable to find our truths, but it is so worth it. And so how, how would you give people, you know, some, some solace in finding that? Well, that's that's really true. And one of the things that struck me since the since the tendencies have sort of promulgated them is that a lot of people don't want their they want to change from one tendency to another. They're like, how can you help me learn how to be this other mm -hmm. tendency? But the fact is all the tendencies have strengths and weaknesses. They all contain, they all include people who are wildly successful and also people who struggle. And when you look at who's the happiest, the healthiest, the most productive, the most creative, they're the people who have like who have accepted themselves and and, and are sort of like. Well, given my nature, how do I set myself up so that I achieve my aims? Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't really matter what your tendency is. What matters is that you're living the life that you want. And it just means that like, if you're an obliger, you're going to have to build an accountability. And the fact is, you're part of the biggest tendency. Mm -hmm. A lot of people need accountability. There's a lot of different ways to give yourself accountability once you realize that's what you need. And sometimes obligers kind of seem like they, that that's sort of weak. And I do think that sometimes other people tell them like you, like you shouldn't rely on, you shouldn't have to rely on outer accountability that somehow that's yeah. weak. It's not weak. It's a big <laughs> thing. So many people need outer accountability. Just get it. Like that's the short, yes. easy way. Like you do not need to evolve out of it or surmount it. Just embrace it and, and make use of it. And you, and then, and, and to, to get the life that you want. Um, all of these um, have, you know, there's and, and because I love the four tendencies, I'm constantly collecting examples from from movies, from novels, from TV shows, from people around me. Um, and you see there's there's sort of the the bright version and then the the more shadowed version of all these things where given how someone is choosing to express it, it can be great and powerful or it can really, you know, it's kind of a lot of work to be done and how to figure out how to manage it. But it's not that there's something wrong with the tendency. It's like, you just have to like, you know, it's like everything. You just have to, you know, it's always the same thing. We have to know yeah. ourselves. We have to do yeah. the work. <laughs> um, but, but this idea that you should be a different tendency yeah. and that would sort of be the solution. No, it, all the tendencies are kind of, are equally valuable and equally valid. Yeah. Um, and and um, gosh, for me as an upholder, I've learned so much from studying the other tendencies. You just see that. There's so much power from these different perspectives. Mm, I love that, which means I, I believe that you also, you know, value other tendencies as well as your own and don't say like, oh, just because of just because as an upholder, I can see things clearly in this way. And somebody else, let's say a rebel does not, because I assume those are two tendencies that don't get along as easily. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you would yeah. never have a friend yeah. that's a rebel. You know, you would just learn and value their thing for who they are. And that's the beauty of acceptance and what I just love so much about. Oh, yeah, that's I have just learned so much from studying the rebel tendency because mm. uh, you're right. They're sort of opposites. It was, it's, it was very hard for me to kind of wrap my mind around their perspective, but it has been enormously freeing for me 
um, and, and valuable to understand like what the rebel tendency brings to the world and how important it is um, and how really for all the, I think. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cut off? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Rebel tendency is the most different from the other three mm-hmm. tendencies. I think we should all study the rebel tendency to understand how they see mm-hmm. things, um, because it it is it is very different. Um, it's hard for me as an as an upholder to understand how much they want to choose. They want to choose, mm-hmm. and to me, I'm like, oh, I want to stop choosing. I'll just choose once, and then I'll just execute on that. Like, I don't want to choose, 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 choose. But for rebels, that's a very high value. Yeah, yeah. I want to add happiness to the conversation. I think it's so brilliant mm. that you, you know, are exploring that over and over and over. And, and I say that in different ways with different people through your podcast and your books. What do you think the biggest misconception of happiness is? Well, back to what we were talking about before. I think that the misconception is that there's like one right way. There's one best way. And that if you want to be happy, you should do these like seven things. Because we each have to, you know, we each have to do our own happiness project based on our own nature, our own Mm -hmm. values, our own temperament, our own um, interests. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to look very different. And so I think when people are like, well, if if, to be happy and healthy, you need to do X, Y, Z. I'm always like, really? Because um, people are very different. And so I think there's a misconception that, that you can sort of give a blueprint. Um, Now there are certain things that are sort of universal, a few things like relationships. I mean, ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists agree that relationships are a key to happiness. And certainly that is true. We need to have enduring intimate bonds. Um, You know, we need to be able to get support and give support. Mm. We need to be able to confide, but what that looks like could be very different from one person to another. One person wants a few intimate friends. One person wants lots and lo- likes to go into a big crowd, you know? Um, so, so even with the things that are fairly universal, there's a, there's just so much variety in how that might come out. Um, back to the tendencies, like accountability. Um, some people need accountability from an actual person, but like, I've talked to a lot of obligers who are introverts and they're like, I don't want accountability from a person because like from an actual person like taking a class because I see people all the time I don't I don't want to add another layer of like social engagement so then they find another way to get the accountability they need um adapted to a, like a more introverted nature mm-hmm. um but I think sometimes people really do want you to just like hand them some, like the answer key um but we each have to figure it out what do you think is for you for in your journey was something that you thought was going to bring you happiness or you pursued as a thing that was going to bring you happiness that later changed for you? Well, I am, I have not been able to use meditation. I have given it two big solid tries because so many people uh, love meditation and find so much value in it. I'm friends with Dan Harris, who wrote 10% happier. And he like, talked me through and got me like I had tried it and given it up. And then he got me to try it again um, because he was so persuasive about it. And, and it just doesn't work for me. I mean, I've truly, and I said to him like as an upholder, he, cause he was like, well, most people find it hard to have the habit. I'm like, well, having the habit of meditating was not hard for me at all. It was actually hard for me to stop meditating once I decided that it wasn't a useful tool for me. Cause I just like, I had to really like, you know, 
loosen my grip on that kind of that morning habit that I had that I had formed. Um, but it was just something that, you know, for whatever reason, um, and, and the people who meditate will be like, well, if it doesn't work for you, that just means all the more that you need to meditate. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I've tried it so hard and I've yeah. done, I've done it lots of different ways. And it just, whatever people are getting from it, I am not getting from it. And I, and so I'm like, yeah. I, instead of just keeping trying it, I'm like, you know, no tool fits every hand. I, I don't think it's surprising that for some people meditation wouldn't be useful. And so, you know, I want to spend my time and my energy and my effort on things that I, I know work for me and, and maybe I'll try it again. Mm -hmm. You know, I've tried it twice. Maybe I'll try it again. Um, but that was something mm -hmm. where I would have thought, like, you know, cause we all hear how great it is. Right. Yeah. Or do you meditate? I do. I do. And it's newer for me. It's, See, there you go. Yeah. I, and I, I do enjoy it. it. It took me, I think I tried two or three times as well before getting into a, a groove that I was like, wow, I get it. Because I also put a lot of pressure on myself and how to meditate. I was mm. like, you know, I was, I was really um, evolving in my spirituality and I was trying to figure out, okay, how do I add and subtract mm -hmm. versus how do I just evolve into what really works for me? And that's a uh. part of the acceptance piece, right? Because I was like, oh, well, this is how th this person I really love, this is how they meditate. So this is how I need to meditate. Yeah. Like that doesn't work, Stace. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, that's, I think that happens to a lot of people where you see somebody that you really admire and you want to just like do what they do, but it, that might work for yeah. you or might not. Well, sort of what I do, like, because yeah. I'm writing a book about the five senses, one of the things I started doing was going to the Metropolitan Museum every single day that it's open, um, which I love. And for me, I think I think it's like the opposite of meditation because I just like let my mind off the leash and I just think about whatever I want to think about. There's like no rules and I don't try to discipline my mind. And I think for me, that's kind of what I needed was more like recess for my brain, whereas I feel mm -hmm. like meditation is very purposeful and intentional. Um, so, mm -hmm. may, you know, maybe we just at different times of our lives or whoever we are, we, we sort of need something we need, we need to give our, our brains a break in different ways. Oh yeah. In our pursuit of happiness, I feel like we're always talking about goals and, you know, things we want to achieve and, and success and purpose and all these buzzwords, right? And they're wonderful. And at the same time, I do believe that they don't have an equate to our full happiness. So I wonder for you, when you've been pursuing great things or you've you've reached a goal, have you also experienced depression after you hit a goal and reached a goal? And, and how did you kind of explore and go through that? You know, that's interesting because they're, it, it's funny because I think for the things that I create or that are like the big, like kind of the big milestones in my life, they're not that clear. Um, they, they tend to have like many, many stages. And so I think for people, it might be where something is kind of like finished and there's sort of the deflation mm -hmm. that comes when something is completely wrapped up. Like my sister, um, I have a podcast, as you mentioned, Happier with Gretchen Rubin. And my co-host is my sister, um, who's a TV writer. And so like, they'll do a season and it's so intense, mm -hmm. to shoot. like season two of Fantasy Island. And it's just, so intense and then it's over and there's sort of the elation but then there also can be kind of a feeling of deflation because it's like because also what happens at least for her and I think this is true for a lot of people when you're sprinting towards some deadline there's all these things that you're like don't have time don't have time and it's kind of nice to just let them go you're like go to the dentist no get a colonoscopy no uh plan for my summer vacation nope you know <laughs> and it's like and it's kind of a relief yeah. and then when you finish it's like all of a sudden it's like da -da 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 -da. 
all those things come rushing back because you're not in that sort of emergency situation anymore. And that's often a big drag because those things may not be so fun. Um, and so, but with my stuff, it's like, like even writing a book, I think for people think, think with writing a book, there would be like a moment when you're done, but it's not like that. It's just like it, it, you, they go through stages and stages and stages and then it's published, but like, it, there's no, there's kind of no obvious finish line. It just keeps going. And I always am working on multiple projects. So if one thing is sort of going to the back, other things tend to come to the forefront or like I worked on this happier app. I have this yes. app. I'm so proud of it. Yes. Called, yeah. If you want to learn more, go to the happier And it's got all these habit uh, tracking tools and it's aimed to be useful for the four tendencies, but you can use anything you want. It's got all, all sorts of information and tips. It's, I'm so proud of the team that did it. It's, I think it's one of Webby for design, but again, it's like, you think that there'd be, yeah, they, like there's a moment where you're like, Oh, but then it's like, Oh, but we have all these ideas for how to make it even better. Or like, we want to do this or like people, how, Oh, it turns out people really like this thing. Should we, should we offer more choices? And so it's like, it, it like, there was a moment of like, Oh, it's released into the world. But the minute it was released, it was like, but now we want to make it better. And so I, at least in my work, I don't have that feeling because, and you could say, well, I don't have the ecstasy of the finish line, which I don't, but I also don't have the dejection of the finish line, which sometimes mm -hmm. people do experience. You're right. Yeah, it's like, yeah. this is yeah, it, a goal. Yeah. When you reach that goal and you think, oh God, if that, if that didn't make me happy, what will make me happy? You know, helping people understand that question and also rethink that question and not put so much pressure on what? I'm like amazingly happy after this wonderful goal I did. And it's like, well, I don't really know if it's supposed to be just in one goal or one experience or one huge milestone, right? That's why we're, we're, we're rethinking and reframing what happiness is on a lifespan and in an expectation yeah. way, how, how to experience happiness for, our, happiness for ourselves that, you know, isn't as external, it's very internal. And yeah. so that's something I'm so yeah. fascinated by. What is the last thing yeah that you, what, what's the last thing you've learned about yourself that's new, whether it's through a platonic relationship or a romantic relationship, something that you just newly learned about through a relationship. Mm. Um, well, this was interesting. So, so I had this podcast and I was talking to my producer, Chuck Reed, who's extremely. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. Only musical, like he toured with bands and he, he, he plays a ton of instruments and he knows a ton about music and. And I was saying to him, um, oh, you know, I'm just not that into music. And this was just something that was part of my identity. I'm not that into music. And um, he said, and he said to me, I think you are into music. I've heard you say that before, but I've also heard you talk about like how meaningful different songs are for you or like how deeply moved you were by them. So I think you are into music. And I was like, you know, mm. you're right. And what I realized from what he said was that I'm not interested, like people are usually interested in like a genre, like they love hip hop. Or they're interested in a musician, like I love Dolly Parton, or you know whatever, and like they'll listen to all the albums, or they'll list, they'll go deeply into a genre. Mm. But for me, it's one song. It's like I love this song, but I don't want to go listen to more songs by that artist <laughs> yeah. or in that genre. I just like the one song, so I don't like that. Like my volume is not as high, but my emotional connection to the music is incredibly strong. Mm. And I felt like Chuck was just this casual because he knew me. 
Like he was like, I think you're seeing yourself in a distorted way. Cause I sort of bought into this identity the way we sometimes do this identity of like, I'm not that into music. That was totally what I told myself. Mm-hmm. And, but he challenged that. And he, he knew that he was, and I mean, he wasn't just saying that like, Oh, of course you're into music the way sometimes people will sort of offhandedly just kind of like right. hand wave some observation that you made by yourself, whether or not they know whether it's accurate. He actually, he was like, I've heard you talk about music. And I, and I was like, you're right. Like in my, like in all the parts of the podcast, it's come up a lot. And so that was really something important that I learned about myself. And it was from Chuck. Wow. I relate deeply to that. I really do. do you? Yes. Are I, you a song lover instead of a music oh, lover? And I have, I have tried to hide that from people because I think there are, right? yes, people are so it, into something and I'm like, I'm into it in such a different way. And I realized yes. I don't really know if I can explain how I'm into it. And seriously, yes. since society thinks that if I don't know this entire album or this entire, I must not love no. it. Right. Wow. I mean, this is exactly how I felt it. Maybe there's a lot of us and we just never had a name for what we are, which is yeah. being song lovers mm. because, because it's like, you like the one song, but then it's like, do you want to go listen to the whole album? Not really. Uh, not really. <laughs> want to go to a concert? Not really. Cause I just like the one song. <laughs> It's you know? crazy. My sister, we were all taking a road trip and everyone was passing around the ox cord. And she's like, Stacey, why haven't you put your playlist? And I realized I was not that I'm embarrassed, but I recognize I thought that their music taste was better than mine because they have this Fine. flow. And I have like song, song, yeah. song, song, song. I don't know if it yes. flows, but these are my favorite top 40 songs. And these are the ones I listen to all the time. And I'm obsessed and I add my songs to it. So the playlist isn't like oh, this music goes with this music and blah, blah. No. It's just my favorite songs. And she as yes. a, she challenged that in me. And I was like, my God, this is really beautiful. So I just can't believe you mentioned the same thing. Wow. That is so, see, this is so re- reassuring to me. Yeah. To know, like maybe this is, this is like being an abstainer and a moderator. Like I found in resisting strong temptation, I thought I was the only one who like can't have a little bit that like can't have one cookie or half a bowl of ice cream or something. Like the minute I get it, I have to go all the way. Yeah. But then I read this line from Samuel Johnson where he said, um, abstinence is as easy to me as temperance would be difficult. And because I had that recognition, I'm like, I'm the same way. It's easy for me to have none, but I can't have a little bit. I can't moderate. And, yeah. and then and I thought I was the only person like this because everybody tells us, oh, follow the 80-20 rule. Don't like don't try to deny yourself all of something. Right. Um, you know, it's not healthy to be too rigid. Rigidity, here I come. Um, <laughs> but 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 what I realized is like, for me, it's much healthier and happier to just be like, you know, I don't have, I don't, I don't, I'm just not going to have any cookies. Because mm-hmm. if I try to have one, then it's just like all this noise in my head. One, two, three, now, later, it's my birthday, it's yeah. raining, I deserve <laughs> it, you know. And I'm like, I could just have none. And that for me is easier. And when I realized yeah. like, and it turns out a lot of people are the same. And but we know we didn't know it because we didn't have a vocabulary to talk about it. We all everybody's just like, oh, this is like my idiosyncratic thing. Nobody mm. gets it. But then once you hear other people have a similar experience, then it feel then you're not like sheepish about the 30 songs on your playlist because you know, when other people have like 3,000. Yeah. And you're like, I'm, I'm like, proud of these 30 songs. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I hope can, that helps somebody because I, I genuinely yes. think that. We really are, and somebody said this to me so beautifully, I think we're more afraid of the next person than we realize. We're all afraid of the next person next to us. We're all trying to figure out how to, 
you know, um, be accepted and be seen and be heard. And and sometimes we are conforming when we do that instead of just being as without even realizing realizing it. Yeah. Without even realizing. Like you don't realize that you are in a moment of like, why aren't you like me? Mm. You know, it doesn't feel like that in that car, that conversation with your sister No, or like, I'm like, you know, I'm this, not that. It's like, if you don't even realize that it's happening until somebody's until you identify with somebody else. I feel like absolutely. that's what helps me. Absolutely. What are some things you're learning from your daughters as you are raising them and learning more about yourself? Well, one of my daughters is very good. I mean, they both, you know, were young uh, and going through school and COVID one was in high school and one was in college. And that's really rough. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I learned from um, my younger daughter she's very, very resilient. And like, even when she's like venting and just crying, you know, with some teen drama, I realized like, you know, what I need to do is just to listen, just to powerfully listen mm-hmm. and, you know, do, you know, and say like, it sounds like this, or you must have felt, you know, trying to like, just show that I am listening and I'm trying to understand. And she can talk her way. Like she will just, I can see the arc. And I said to my husband, I'm like, if she, just let her talk her way through it because she will talk herself into perspective and into kind of a calmer mind. Don't interrupt her. Don't oppose her. Don't try to change the subject. Cause she just, and I'm like, I just see how she does it. I'm like, this is just, it's such a good example to me of like how you can, she's not denying her feelings, but she just talks her way through it. Um, so that's been a really like just seeing how she does that. I've learned a ton. My older daughter is incredibly resourceful. Um, like she could just figure out like how to solve any problem. I'm just, I'm, I'm like, I don't want to start relying on her too much. Cause I could, I can feel myself being like, Ooh, maybe I'll just ask Eliza how to fix this problem. <laughs> like I can, she's not my, my it and my Mr. Fix it and my Google, you know what I mean? Like to fix, solve my problems. Right. Like I got to learn, I got to learn how to be resourceful, for right. her, not just to expect her to be my resourcefulness. Um, uh, you know, resource that I just hit up for everything that I need. So that, yeah, I've learned, I, I, you learn a lot from your own family. That is for sure. I agree. I agree. And that's what I love about the interpersonal relationships and what they teach us. I, I would say that, you know, as we're talking about happiness, I think we do put a lot of happiness on or expectations of happiness in our relationships, right? We, we gauge how they respond to us, how they react to us, what they think about what we're doing. And we say, oh, this means I'm happy in a relationship. How can we rethink that? Because again, with the tendencies, again, with accepting ourselves, exploring the hard things about ourselves, whether they're hard or easy, just exploring our truths. How can we rethink putting expectations of happiness on other people versus on ourselves? I mean, that is, that, that is so crucial. Um, And so, and I have like these eight splendid truths of happiness where I was really trying to understand, like, this was when I was writing the happiness project. And I was really trying to understand kind of like the core general principles of happiness, which is a very elusive concept. I mean, one of them is um, no one can make you happy and you can't make someone else be happy. You know, we all have to find our own happiness and that it's just, that is just the truth of it. And, but the other thing and related is um, we can't make people change, but when we change a relationship changes and when we change the atmosphere of our household changes or our workplace changes or our neighborhood changes. And so sometimes by changing ourselves, we do change a larger dynamic, but it it is true that, you know, often we get so much happiness and unhappiness through our relationships. And it's just something that we have to work through throughout our whole lives. Mm-hmm. What is the last thing you forgave yourself for, for the first time? 
Oh, wow. Okay. I need to think for that. The last thing that I forgave myself for the first time, for the first time, because I feel like I repeat the same behaviors over and over. So I'm in a constant process of like trying, trying to, I hear that. Um, maybe it was, um, with my next book, I, I have really struggled with the title. I often, yeah, with all my books, I either know the title immediately or it's a tremendous struggle. And it seems like it's every other one, like it's easy, heart, easy, heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a hard one. And so I've been talking about it so, so much. And I know and it's the kind of thing where I'm like, I'm tired of it. Everybody around me is tired of it. But I just like, it was like dog with bone, you know, right. could not let it go. Right. And I finally was, and I was feeling very bad because of course my husband is like the innocent bystander all, to all this. And, um, and, you know, and then I finally was like, you know what, this is just part of my process. And it's just like, this is the person he married. It's just, it just comes with this package and mm. I can't, you know, I, I can't, I can't not talk about it because it's all I'm thinking about. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Out and uh, and like that's kind of that's marriage, which is you you sort of are you're you're part of the process. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna let myself off the hook for just sort of. And it was funny because not long after I'd sort of forgiven myself for this. I overheard somebody with him talking to somebody and he was like, oh, and, and she hasn't even started on the jacket yet. So I'm like, oh, see, he totally gets it. He knows it's coming. It's going to be even more, you know, so he, he wasn't, he wasn't angry or impatient about it. He, he yeah. got it. Um, but, and I felt bad about it, but then I'm like, you know what? I'm letting my, I'm, I'm going to forgive myself. Yeah. For this. Oh, I love to hear that. I love to hear that. I think, oh, accepting our processes, being okay with what our processes yeah. are. Yes. Yes. I love yeah. that. I love that. We have a segment on the show called our honest gem segment. So we like to hear the real from who we're talking to and, and just get your honest feedback on it. So I'd love to first start with what is something they really don't tell us about happiness? Well, they really don't tell us that it's it's very, very individual. I think there is this expectation that there's going to be this one size fits all um, and this and this desire to sort of give advice that's going to work for everyone instead of really trying to encourage people to look for, within themselves mm-hmm. to say, like, well, what's worked for you in the past or what feels right? What feels wrong? Um, it's, it's much more about sort of like handing people a solution and, and, and then sort of often kind of blaming them if it doesn't work. So I think that's, I think that's one thing. What is something they really don't tell us about putting yourself first? That you probably need accountability. You need outer accountability. If you, if you struggle to put yourself first, you are almost certainly an obliger and what you need is outer accountability for what it, whatever it is that you want to do for yourself. That's, that's the, that's the quick and, and simple solution. Yeah. There's a lot of truth in there that I think, yeah, that it's okay to own. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And what's something they really don't tell us about asking for help. That it really, I mean, people ask for help and it helps to ask for help. I, I don't know why it's so hard to ask for help. It seems that we all have trouble asking for help, but it really helps. Mm-hmm. You and Elizabeth had a beautiful topic called um, about 
responsibility shifting questions. And I just wanted to enlighten us with that quickly before we wrap. Um, what, what, what are responsibility shifting questions and how do they show up in communication styles? Well, see, this is so funny because this was just something I noticed in myself and Alyssa was like, oh, I do this too. So we talked about it and then we've gotten this huge response. Yes. So I did not know that we were going to tap into an herb. I thought maybe this was just sort of our quirky thing. But so responsibility shifting and, and, and what we realized, too, is that there's so many kinds of questions that are serving so many functions. Mm-hmm. And so there's there are questions that are really just about starting a conversation or reaching out to somebody. But a responsibility shifting question, which uh, both of us are, do often, which is when you're really trying to get somebody to do something for you, either to um, perform a task like. Uh, do we have any salt? And you want somebody to get up and get you the salt um, or uh, make a decision. Like I say to my husband, what time do I need to leave for the airport? It's like, why is he making that decision? Because it's like, I don't want the burden of like, like going through all of the, you know, I live in New York city. So there's so many complicated factors. Like I don't want to do the mental work. Um, or even just something as simple as like, uh, you know, what's the weather like? It's like, well, we all have the same Google. <laughs> like you could look up the weather just as I, I don't know why you're asking me. I have no more information than you. But often it's like if you ask people questions, often they will do it. They will get you the salt. They will figure out the airport question. They will get the umbrella. They will look up the weather. Um but it's sort of not fair um, to constantly be trying to shift these responsibilities onto other people. And so uh, by talking about it, Alyssa and I were trying to make ourselves more aware of how we might be trying to do that. Um, and because in the end, you're just, you know, it's really trying to get somebody to do something. It's interesting, though, I got a response from a, a, a listener who was defending that or, or, or like putting saying that when she did it, it's because she needed so much help. And nobody helped her. And so she was asking responsibility shifting questions, trying to get help. But it was obvious from her question that she was very frustrated. And I think the part of the reason she was frustrated probably is this is not an effective way to get help. If you feel like I deserve help, I need help. You're much better off saying like, um, you know, uh, there's so much to clean up in the kitchen. Would you empty the dishwasher while I tackle the stuff in the sink? Rather than saying something like, you know, like, um, do we have any more dishwashing yeah. soap? Like that's yeah. going to inspire somebody because they're going to be like, yeah, we got plenty and walk out the door. You know what I mean? So it's like, you feel like you've like made a sort of a discreet suggestion that someone is choosing to ignore. Well, they just may not even think about, think about it in that context. Yeah. So I think if you, if you want someone to take responsibility, it's often more effective to say, um, I would like, I, I would like this to be your responsibility. And then a person can say yes or say no. But there's no there's no ambiguity about, um, you know, kind of a uh, you circumnavigating the point you're trying to make. Yes. Yes. And I brought that up because I felt like, wow, the fact that it even had language, I recognized when Ah. I was doing it in my in my world and I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my God. And part of doing it in my world was because I was a bit afraid to be direct about what I really needed and wanted at that time. Yes. You know, yes. not wanting to put that on somebody else and and trying to put it on, put it in a way that was a little more open for them, but at the same time, provided them no clarity, which still didn't get me what I wanted and still put more pressure on them. And then ended up being a pointless. So I was like, wow. And I just was so affected by that. And I'm like, guys, we should really all, you know, be aware or just analyze. Are we, are we asking a lot of responsibility shifting questions and why, and why are we yes. doing that? The why was so helpful. 
But see, you know, that's a really good point that you just, it just became clear in my mind as you were saying it, because there's responsible shifting when you're basically not shirking, but you're kind of trying to shirk, you're trying to, trying to get somebody to do work that really is properly yours. Mm-hmm. And then there's responsibility shifting where you're trying to get somebody to contribute and you're saying it in kind of a, a like a delicate way, but you really are trying to get them to take responsibility for something. Yeah. So it's not like you're shirking it because, oh, you really should be doing it yourself. It's really like, well, this person should be helping. Yeah. So that's interesting because we were thinking about it in terms really of when we eh, come on, you know, you should do your own calculations about when to leave for the airport. It's a pain, right. but it's a pain for whoever has to do it. Why should he have to do it? Right. But something like cleaning the kitchen. Well, if you ate, if you ate dinner too, like this should be a pro like we should all contribute. And so it's really about um, contributing. Yeah. Yeah. The nuance doing a, having a, yeah. Proper country. Oh, there's so much. Well, it turns out that question asking, I'm sure that there are giant books and PhD theses and everything about question asking now that I I keep meaning to go back and look at it more because it's, 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 it's very, very complex, sophisticated kinds of communication. One, I just want to thank you so much for being on the show, your lens, the way you see the world, your books, the tendencies, and your podcast has been so helpful to me. And I genuinely have been able to talk through with my friends and my family. So I hope it is a help to our audience as well. And I know you have a book that you're working on if you want to talk about that a little bit too. Yes. Well, you know, title TK, because I'm still working on the title, as I said, but it's all about, yes, um, yes. <laughs> like I did this, I realized that I was sort of stuck in my head and like, in a way, everything felt like hypersaturated, but it also sort of felt thin. Uh, I was spending too much time behind screens and I really just, I wanted to connect with my body and sort of the present moment. And I realized that a great way to do that would be through my senses. So I went through the big five kindergarten senses and really like dialed into them like with the music like really thinking like what is my relationship to music which is you know the sense yeah. of the, the sense of hearing and um, I mean every book that I write I think it's never going to be this good again I'll never have a subject as fascinating as this book and then the next one comes and I'm like this is my favorite book it'll never be this good again so I <laughs> love studying the five senses it's just been uh just so fascinating and an endless delight to uh to think about our five senses have you seen how vulnerable it's been for you yes, as well? Yes, no, right, yeah. No, seeing seeing how people have foreground senses and background senses and and understand like and understanding that we all live in such different sensory worlds. I mean, I intellectually realize that, but it is a shock every time you realize like just literally the world you walk through uh is different because your brain is telling you what you need to know and you have like your taste receptors and you know there's so many things that influence um like what how we perceive the world so it's just been Mm. fascinating yeah thank you so much for being on the show thank you it was such a delight to talk to you you are welcome and thank you guys so much for listening to human to human thanks for listening to the human to human podcast and this episode with gretchen rubin If you haven't already, take the four tendencies quiz on GretchenRubin.com. I took it right before this interview. And to be honest, I didn't love my results, but I appreciated it because they were true. And as we know, sometimes the truth is hard. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, leave a review. And while you're at it, share this with someone you love or just someone you like, as long as you share it. Stay connected between episodes and follow us on Instagram at HumanHuman with Stacey Ike really cannot wait to see your feedback about this episode. I'm your host, Stacey Ike, and remember, curiosity is the pathway to consciousness. So let's take the next step 
together. This episode was produced by executive producer Stacey Ike, producer Paris McCoy, and associate producer Emma Jackson, audio engineer Brian Schaefer, theme music Pieces by After the Fall, music released by Chill Out Records, post-production audio by Revolts, and special thanks to our guests, supporters, and the entire team at Human to Human Productions. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.